Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, Community of Hope. Good to see everybody. I want to say welcome to everybody who is streaming the service online and uh, welcome to everybody in the room. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Uh, we were out a couple weeks. Some of you know, um, two weeks ago, uh, our, our son-in-law, Beth's and my son-in-law, Brandon uh, Weaver, graduated from seminary with his Master of Divinity degree. And uh, I want to show you, here's a picture, I think, of them we're going to show. Isn't that awesome right there? And uh, here's what's so cool about this picture I want you to know. So many years ago when I had finished my doctoral degree, I, was, uh, I took a picture right there with my family. I should have brought that to show that to you this morning so you can see that. And then in 1985, when I went to the seminary for the very first time, somebody took a picture of me and my parents right there right before they got in the car and skedaddled out of there. And they like dropped me off, took the picture, and were like, we're out. Good luck. Hope it goes well. That was kind of, no. But anyhow, and so this is a really, really cool thing. So that was two weeks ago. And then we got home from this experience, and I got COVID. Yeah, I wanted more compassion than that. (laughs) Y'all, I have to tell you, I have been everywhere in the last two and a half years. I thought, I'm absolutely allergic to it. I cannot get it. I go to my son-in-law's graduation. Somebody breathed on me, and I dropped like a fly. I was so sick last week. Um, I, I still don't have taste and smell. Did anybody um, lose taste and smell if you got it? Did you get it back? Okay. Uh, I had, there was a young woman in our church. I was talking to her this week. Actually, she's on our staff team, and she, didn't have, she lost taste and smell. I said, I said, Caitlin, how long did it take you to get it back? She said, six months. I told her to go to another church. I was like, oh, my gosh. So anyhow, I still uh, am still uh, coming around, and I learned this past week that COVID brain is actually a thing. And so uh, I had the hardest time concentrating this week to prepare. I often take this time super serious. So uh, if I say something that um, I don't mean to say, I'm sorry. And if I preach heresy, I hope you don't notice, Okay. (laughs) So that's kind of where we are this morning, but um, I would love to open our time in prayer. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, again, um, you have already met us here with your presence. Gosh, when we're worshiping you, we feel it. We just feel your presence in the room, and I'm so grateful, God. You have said that you inhabit the praises of your people, and you have said in your word that even two people come together in your name, with your purpose, with your heart in mind, you meet with them there. And so, Lord, you're here with us today. And I want to pray for all of my friends. I pray for those streaming the service. I pray for those podcasting later. I pray for those in the room live right now, especially, Lord, for those who this might be their first time in church. We have folks coming to Community of Hope who've never been to church before. I pray that you would illumine your presence and show them your goodness. I pray for those who are here that are reconnecting to church. Maybe it's been COVID. Maybe, uh, you know, they rambled through church many years ago, and now they're giving it another try. Lord, would you show them it's relevant and good? And for those of us who are here, that it's just um, an act of devotion. We're here today. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else 
but in your presence with other people seeking your direction and your purpose and your goodness for our lives. Uh, Lord, we just say we love you and we welcome you. Use this time in important ways for we pray together in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So chances are, if I were to ask you uh, what event took place in July of 1961, that after uh, word got out around this event, it has uh, embedded itself in modern sporting history and really anecdotally in American popular history. What event was that? Many of you would know what I'm talking about. But if I show you the picture of the person connected to the event that took place in July of 1961, a lot of you would begin to warm up and get the story. And when I tell the story connected to the picture of the person referencing the event that took place in July of 1961, a lot of you in the room would be able to finish the story before I even reach the punchline. And so I'm going to test case my theory. Um, We're talking about July 1961. Here's the person. Do you know who that is? It's Vince Lombardi. And in July of 1961, this man who was coaching the Green Bay Packers gathered with all 38 of his players, all of his staff, all of his assistants, all of his coaches. And when everybody gathered in that moment, what they thought this guy was going to do was they thought he was going to autopsy their horrible defeat at the end of the previous season. When in the end of the previous season, they were defeated by the Philadelphia Eagles in a horrendous way, blowing a lead in the fourth quarter in an embarrassing sort of fashion. And so when he gathered at training camp the next season with everybody in July of 1961, everybody thought what this great coach was going to do was he was going to break apart the game that took place at the end of the previous season. He was going to show film footage. He was going to diagnose and autopsy and do all the things that might give them an opportunity to have a successful current season and maybe just hope against hope find themselves again in a national championship game at the end of the season. What they didn't expect he would do is that they're gathered with his 38 elite players at the height of their own personal careers and with all of the coaches and the assistants. What they didn't think he would do is what he did next. And some of you know the story. He picked up a football and he spoke four immortal uh, immortal words that has embedded itself into the history of our, of our country, really. And he said, gentlemen, say it with me, this is a football. That's actually five words. Okay? And when he did that, for the next several hours, what he did with his team is he hyper-focused on fundamentals. And all afternoon, by all the accounts of people that were there, he spent all day talking about blocking and tackling, and throwing, and catching, and kicking. And his hyper-focus on the fundamentals of the game embedded itself into that team in such a way, well, let me tell you what happened. Not only 
Did they have a successful current season? They, in fact, did find themselves again in a national championship game against the New York Giants, of whom they defeated 37-0. to And Vince Lombardi never again coached a losing season. He never again lost a playoff game. And for the next seven years, he won five Super Bowls. He wrote himself right into history. Well, in a very similar way, what I want to do this morning is I want to strip everything down and I want to focus on the fundamentals and I want to begin with our congregation and for those who are streaming the service online, I want to have a conversation with you about the church. And I want to talk to you about the church, its beginning, how it got started, why it matters, and how it's continued mysteriously all the way through time. And so this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you that's, uh, that signifies what I would call, frankly, the epicenter of where this whole thing started. You heard Pastor Trevor a few moments ago give us some history about Pentecost and the beginning of the church and the book of Acts. But the first time the word church is actually used in the New Testament is the story I want to read to you right now. And it happens in Matthew chapter 16 and beginning at verse 13. And Jesus is with his disciples uh, in a region known in biblical times as Caesarea Philippi. We would know it today as Syria. And here's what he says in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. He says, when, it says, Matthew records, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah, or perhaps one of the other prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, he said, that you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, this is what I think we need to do and this is what I wanna uh, warm your mind and your heart up about in this series. I think it's important for us to have a conversation about the church. And I want to tell you right in the beginning, I'm going to make a promise to you that this is going to be relevant to your life. It's going to be relevant to your thought, to your understanding, and to your faith. This is not just an existential question that I have because this is, you know, kind of what I do for a living. I think it's relevant to every single one of us. And here's why. I think and others think right now that we are living in a pivotal moment in world history. 
We are living in a moment in history right now where some people are looking at some of the institutions that we have in our world that are in place in our world. And, and the more um, optimistic uh, of, of, of those who are writing about this pivotal moment in human history are saying that some of the institutions that, are, that, we, that we have long depended on are just sort of undergoing an autocorrect and a transformation. Those who are positive write that. Those who are a little more turned toward the negative say this. A lot of our institutions right now seem to be breaking down and it's, it's to be determined, they write, whether or not they will recover. And I think there's a moment for us to think about this because think with me about this for a moment. It's hard not to look at government right now and just to envision that the way that our government is working or not working right now, that, that this just can't be the way our founding fathers envisioned our country working. Anybody agree with me? And when we look at government right now, we, we just see what's going on in our society is that um, there is just so much mistrust that is baked into our society that when it comes to government, the government, what we're really actually doing is we've all sort of devolved into a tribalistic understanding of how the world works. And we no longer want to talk to anybody with whom we don't agree with. And so sometimes when you look at government, we see that. We could look at education and say there's something going on right now in our society globally around education that, again, those who write positively would say it's undergoing some sort of transformation. Those who write negatively would say it's falling apart and it's to be determined if it'll ever actually recover. Now, we have a lot of educators in our congregation, and every now and again, I will, I will go around to my friends, my educators, many of you, and I'll say, how you doing? And it's not uncommon for me to hear something like this. You know what? I'm doing something right now as an educator. I'm being asked to do things that, that I didn't really sign up to do when I decided to become an educator. Uh, when we look at society, society is just broken down. It looks like there's all this tension. There's all this mistrust. There's all this suspicion. And here's what I would tell you. Because I'm a lover of history and a, and a reader of history, I would add to that list a little bit I would say the church. The church is undergoing tremendous transformation. It's either in an autocorrect or some stuff is changing never to be the same again. You would have never told me, y'all, two and a half years ago, that if we were not um, uh, embedding into the culture of our congregation online systems, that we were going to be left in the dust. And I'm so grateful that we were able to pivot two and a half years ago, still today, still in this moment, our largest attendance is online. And so it's an interesting thing to think about. But beyond that, here's what I would tell you about the church. The church, not our church in general, but the capital C church, the global church, the universal church. There's been a lot of misappropriation. There's been a lot of abuse. There's been a lot of hypocrisy. The largest uh, listen to podcast last year was a po podcast. I think it was entitled who killed Mars Hill. 
And it was a podcast about this phenomenal church that overnight just grew to 15,000 people. And because of abuse and scandal and misappropriation, it dissolved and disappeared overnight. And many of us are looking sometimes at at churches and we're seeing these tremendous platforms that, that grow and develop. And then the persons leading those platforms don't have the character to carry out the platform. And it falls in a horrendous way. But still, but still, here's something interesting to consider. The church, the global church of Jesus Christ is the largest community in the world. It's still the fastest growing community in the world. Even with all of the the mistrust, even with all of the scandal, even with all of these things that have pressed against it over time. The church of Jesus Christ is the largest and fastest growing community on the planet. And the question would have to be asked, how is that happening? How has that happened? In fact, a few years ago, I read a book uh, by Andy Stanley entitled Irresistible. And Andy Stanley makes this quote. I, I wrote it down, kept it in my notes when I first read it. He said this, how did a religious cult, talking about Christianity, how did a religious cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, whose leader had been rejected by his own people and crucified as a wannabe king of Rome, how did this religious cult survive in the face of overwhelming resistance? And how is it that this same upstart religion would eventually be embraced by the very empire that sought to extinguish it? Here's the interesting thing. We can't figure it out. We don't know how it happened. I was reading in a book, and I want to show you the picture of this book. This is a a, a book by Karen Armstrong, who is a British uh, historian, and she wrote a book entitled Fields of Blood. And let me just be clear. Uh, Karen Armstrong is no fan of what we're doing right here in this moment right now. And Karen Armstrong writes this. She says, against all odds by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. And that's a really important phrase to think about. We still do not really understand how this came about. So with all of the tension around the church, with all of the, the, the institutions in our world right now that are undergoing all of this sweeping change and all of this sort of pivotal moment transformation, how is it that the church has survived and continues to grow? Well, and if you look at it on this side of religious history and you carefully consider the epicenter of the scripture that we just read together, which, by the way, if you're taking notes, is the very first time the word church is ever used in the New Testament, there are some clues that we might be able to pick up on. And one of the clues, I think, is simply this. I think the church is God's idea. One of the only ways that we're ever going to really understand 
what is going on in a moment like this, what is going on all over our town, what is going on all over our world when Christians gather and assemble. The only way we can really define that this is a thing is because the church is God's idea. And I want you to look a little more closely at the verse of Scripture connected to this, which is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And Matthew is writing and he's recording for you and me and for history and posterity this moment with Jesus and the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And this is what he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So here's what's going on. Jesus is walking through Caesarea Philippi with the disciples. It was just part of his journey, and Caesarea Philippi at this particular moment in history was kind of the epicenter of the religious, political, philosophical sort of uh, coming together. And so scholars believe that Jesus is walking with the disciples through this hyper-religious, uh, this hyper-political town, almost kind of like think Washington, D.C. And he's walking through, and, and he's hearing people talk about him. And they're saying, you know, they're, they're just talking about Jesus. And it's almost like the Greek philosophers see him and they point him out and they're, they're talking about him. And then some of the religious leaders see him walking with his disciples and they point at him and they're talking uh, about him in this moment. And Jesus overhears it. So he just does what I think is maybe what none of us should ever do. What are people saying about me? And they ask him. And so the disciples begin to respond and they say, you know what, some some People, Jesus, say that you're like Elijah. Some people say you're like John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And, and here's, what, here's what a cool thing that happens. Um, he stops them and he turns to the disciples and he says this, who do you say that I am? Now, I want to pause there for a moment because um, what you may not know, that is a, that is a fork in the road over which historians, church historians, have argued for many, many years. Like, what's happening in that moment? We would notice first, right, that Jesus took this anecdotal question that's floating out in the air, and he gets really personal with it, and he says, who do you say that I am? Let me just say this as a pastor. I don't want to miss my moment. That's the most important question you will ever answer. It's that question. Who is Jesus to you. And here's the interesting thing. I'll just say this. You know what the rest of the New Testament bears out? That there's coming a day when all of us in eternity will have to answer that question again. And we will answer that question with our lives based on, you know, the evidence and based on what we said. But beyond just this being a pastoral moment, scholars observe something really important that happens here. The question really lays out like this. When Jesus asks that question, and then Peter answers it, and he says, hey, Jesus, I'll answer it. I'll tell you who you are. You are the son of the living God. You're the Christ. And then Jesus just, you know, he answers back in all this incredible way. He said, you know, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you know, it wasn't just flesh and blood. You didn't just come up with this on your own. It was the Spirit of God that was speaking through you in that answer. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, because you're Peter, you're a rock. I'm going to build my church on the rock. 
And, and scholars look at that and you can see it. I think we might have another verse there. If we don't, I can't remember. This is that COVID brain thing I was talking about. And I can remember when he says, I'm gonna build your Peter and on this rock. Well, Peter, the Greek word for Peter is the word Petros, which means rock. And so there's this little interplay here where Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you're like a rock. I'm gonna build my church on the rock. Now, here's what scholars uh, tell us is the fork in the road. Was Jesus saying he's gonna literally build his church on Peter? Or was he saying he's gonna build his church on the confession that Peter made? And here's what I wanna tell you. Choose wisely. Because entire denominations have been built and established on how that question is answered. You and I could all get on a plane right now. We could fly to Rome. We could go to the Vatican. And at the Vatican is where Peter is supposedly buried. And they have literally built the church on top of his grave as a symbol to say, we believe that Jesus was saying God would build his church on Peter. But Protestants look at that a little differently. And we say this, we don't think he was saying he would build his church on Peter. We're saying he would build his church on every single human being who answers that question the way Peter answered it. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And so here's the thing. How did the church survive? It survived because it's God's idea built upon the confession of people who answer that question like Peter did. And not only is it God's idea, it's God's main way that he grows his church. Another little linguistic discovery, I think, happens in the next verse. I think we have another verse to show you here. Maybe we do. There we go. Verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is just a reminder that what God is actually saying is this. The church is God's idea and God's main way to fulfill his purposes to bring heaven to earth. And we see it right here. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So if you've answered the question the way Peter answered, that's important, by the way, then you are setting yourself up to be given the keys of the kingdom of God, which means this, you have power, you have authority, you have the ability under the spirit of God to push against the darkness that we're finding and seeing in our world. And here's what I would tell you. When the church is working right, it is the greatest force for good on the planet. Why? Because it's revealing the message and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the message. This is the truth. Now, one other little interesting thing I want to share with you. 
So we see that the church is God's idea and God's main way to accomplish his purposes to bring heaven and earth. And then all of this incredibly powerful story, it ends in a very weird way. We get to verse 20, and let me show you verse 20. After he said all this, Matthew records, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Anybody else read that and go, um, what? I mean, what? I mean, you just revealed, you just, you just gave us the secret. You just said, we got the power. You just did all this stuff. And then you say, wait a minute. And by the way, everybody, let's just keep it to ourselves. Anybody else troubled by that? Well, let me just tell you something. Scholars have been very troubled by that. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of discussion around this. But I read from one scholar who said this, and I think he's on to something. He said this, when Jesus ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, what he was going to do, and in fact, what he did do from that moment on until the crucifixion, he was gauging their devotion. Did they really mean it? Did it really matter? Was it really worth it? Because here's what I want to tell you. The only way that you and I are sitting in here today, listening to a guy with COVID brain, is because all of there was a generation and a group of people down through history at every turn who believed in it 100% all the way. Here's what I would tell you. Half-hearted faith will not keep the church going. But thankfully, across this era and across all time, there have been enough people who were willing to stake their life on this idea as a very fact of being, and it's transformed the world. You and I would have never believed after the crucifixion when 11 people and maybe a few ragtag others assembled in an upper room trying to figure out their next steps after their leader had been crucified and after Rome was looking for them to martyr and to kill and extinguish every single one of them. You and I would have never entered that upper room as as an observer and said by the third century, the very uh, nation, the very uh, governmental system that was seeking to destroy those 11 people, was now accepting as a state religion the very religion those believers had in the upper room, we would have never said that would have taken place. And it did. Why? Because the church is God's idea and God's main way to bring heaven to earth. And I don't know about you, but because I believe that, I want in. Anyone else want to go with me? Amen. So what we're going to do in this season is we're going to strip it down and we're going to start with the fundamentals and we're going to point our minds and our hearts toward this mission that is unfolding around the world. And I got to tell you today, if you're here and you have some despair, you have some anxiety, you have some circumstance, 
there is reason to have great hope because Jesus Christ is exactly who he has claimed he is. And there is hope in that. Praise God. So I want to encourage you and give you an invite to come out this afternoon at 430 at Carlin Park. And we're going to see, I think it's 23 folks step into their commitment of this Jesus who is the Christ to them. Come and support him and encourage him. It'll be good to get outside and be together. Lord, I pray for all of my friends. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we'd use this Pentecostal Sunday as a way to remind us of the hope that is flowing through your love for the world. And that, God, we might not only be receivers of it unto ourselves in our own lives, but we would be dispensers of that very grace into the lives of everyone around us. This we pray in Jesus' precious name and for his glory and glory alone. And everyone said, amen. Go in his mercy. We'll see you next weekend.